This is High Stakes from Gerard Inc. I'm David Schifrin with Gerard Inc. and this podcast is part of our Backstage Sessions series recorded on day two of the inaugural Healthcare Sessions Conference produced by the Nashville Healthcare Council. Today we're talking about value-based care. The transition has been long discussed and there's been plenty of work towards value and risk-based models and, and a decent amount of progress, but not nearly as much progress as most of us probably would have hoped or maybe expected. There seemed to be a subtle yet noticeable shift in tone this year among attendees and speakers at sessions. Value-based care seems to be picking up speed. Two of those voices who are leading the charge participated in a panel on value, after which they joined me backstage. First up is Rob Allen, CEO of Intermountain Health. Then I spoke with Dr. Wyatt Decker, who is Executive Vice President and Chief Physician for Value-Based Care and Innovation at United Health Group. A key point in both conversations as we talked about the shift to value was the importance of deep community engagement in that process. Please be sure to subscribe, share, rate, and review the High Stakes Podcast, and check out GerardInc.com and HealthcareCouncil.com to learn more about our work. Rob Allen, I appreciate you taking the time. So you just wrapped up a conversation about value-based care and the transition that we as a healthcare system and an industry are making. And one of the things that, I'll just jump right in here, what struck me so much about that conversation was the focus on incredibly granular data. And I don't know, that's probably not even the right way to say it because we're talking about people. And uh, you talked there towards the end about getting into communities and knowing exactly what each community and what each patient needs. So talk a little bit, if you would, about this perspective, how you take this massive U.S. healthcare system, Intermountain, which is a large system in and of itself, all these patients, all these providers, and you're able to take that down to the level of the individual and the, indivi- the individual community, the individual patient, in order to figure out what that one thing is. Yeah, that's interesting. You look at uh, the DNA studies that are coming out and the work being done there and how much more accessible that kind of data is about an individual's needs. And I think that coupled with system development allows us or will allow us to better connect with people where they are on their terms and around what their needs are. It's a journey, we're not there yet, but I think one of the key things in addition to that, and there's a lot of focus on the individual, which is who we connect with ultimately, but it's understanding the community at large so you can get in to get close to the individual. And communities have their own unique needs and own unique ways of going about things. And one of the things we're thinking a lot about at Intermountain is how do you go into these markets and these communities and understand the community at large so you can better understand those individuals. And you start to go into social determinants of health and look at what are the challenges health and wellness? What are the welfare challenges of communities? Um, How do you look at aging to the young and meet all of those needs along the way and partner with the other services in the community to get where you need to go with others? Because one organization I don't believe can do it all for everybody, but I do believe organizations coming together can. How do you go about that, pursuing those partnerships? I'm sure it varies, again, community to community, and, and, but we're talking about retail, we're talking about places of worship, we're talking about schools, social services. So when you go into a community, what's the conversation, what's the communication like to say, we're here to support and augment? You know, one of the lessons we learned on this journey was the need to be cautious about other organizations in the community. So we launched a few years ago a project looking at two zip codes in underserved areas, wondering, could we go in and partner and actually make a difference in the health and well-being of those communities that were identified as underserved? And from my office in downtown Salt Lake City, I can look out the window and the life expectancy 
from one community to another that I can see both of them out of the window of my office is 10 years. 10 years different life expectancy. It's quite incredible. Now, those were not the communities we picked. We picked one further north and one further south of where we were. But when we went into partner, we committed $12 million over three years in total to each of these. So $2 million a year to each of these zip code areas to look at how we partner and help. And one of the biggest hurdles initially we found were there are a lot of organizations Government organizations, not-for-profit organizations that are attempting to solve problems in their communities. And there was this fear that Intermountain was coming in to take over their turf. We didn't expect that. We thought we'd be welcomed with open arms coming in with some resource (laughs) and additional things to help. But we had to stop and recognize that each community has its own structure already in place that's attempting. So how do we come in and be the partner? And we had to learn to actually aggregate people together and have a discussion on the front end before we started to try and deploy resource or even design our plan to say, what role does everybody play and where can Intermountain fill the gaps? And I think that approach has proven to be quite uh, positive and productive. And folks that were fearful and concerned at first got settled and recognized they have a place. In fact, they came to understand they have to have a place. Intermountain can't replace all of them. We can partner and help further the work they're trying to do. A related question then, and you talked about the uh, on stage the transition to value being an evolutionary process, mm-hmm. and uh, there was sort of an undertone of, of your comments of the need for change management. Part of that, your answer to the previous question gets at that as well, but talk a little bit more about the change management, how you engage people externally and internally on your team to, to drive this evolutionary process forward, making sure everybody understands here's where we are, here's where we're going, here's what it means, and here's why we need you to be part of it. Yeah, for, I'll start with the internal. When you look at a team that's been very successful doing what they do in a certain location for a certain group of people and you say go do it over there they immediately want to pick up what they do and go over and just plant stakes and do exactly the same thing and that's natural but what we fail to recognize sometimes is that where you were successful you built your model around the nuances of that group whether it's a group of people whether it's a community a norm whatever the case might be you built it around what those needs were there and so to recognize on the front end for your team the change management process is let's have that discussion up front what are the concepts we're taking? What are the things we need to be sensitive to in the new community? And that's the partnerships and relationships in that new community. And then let's be thoughtful and a bit cautious about how quick we go at first so we can go much faster later. Last question, Rob, is around trust. And again, something you said, you were talking about, we've already mentioned the relationships, going in, building trust. That is sort of an esoteric, ephemeral, emotional state, but it also has real-life consequences. It has consequences for clinical outcomes and business outcomes. And when you think about, again, working with your team and going into these communities and building trust, how does that help establish a pathway towards value? Because we've we've got to drive this change. We've got to take costs out of the system, but people have to understand what's happening. So where does trust play into that for you? It's at the core, as you've just stated and stated so well, you need trust in order for people to take the journey. And the fact is what we want to do is be your partner in your journey. And too many times people, I think, rightfully so from past experience, view somebody else showing up saying, I want to go on the journey with you as they want to actually create a new journey for you. And it may not be the journey you want to take, right? And I think about health and wellness. And one of the stats that I I quoted on the stage was 27% of the care we delivered, the cost of care in the country was done for things that are preventable. If you can go upstream not everybody wants to change their lifestyle that caused some of those things. I'm an avid Diet Coke drinker. You know, I often tell groups, I've already had my four or five Cokes for the day by the time (laughs) I'm up speaking to a group, and that's a choice I made, and I know it's not healthy. But I also believe, as I've talked to people, that 
the big things in life, people want to be healthy. They want to have energy. They want to be able to live in a way that they can enjoy that journey. And so they're looking for information and understanding. And they'll make choices just like I have that may not be the best overall. But generally speaking, people will make pretty good choices to try and live a life that they envision and that they want to live. And we can be that partner. So if we can meet them where they are and have a trusted relationship, show them we're not trying to change your direction. We're trying to just help you understand the direction you've chosen so you can actually live your best life. That's great. May I ask one more mm-hmm. question? It's uh, it's an admittedly cliche question, but we're here at sessions. There's a lot of excitement and a lot of energy. So as you're walking through the halls, what are you excited about? The concept that so many leaders in healthcare are gathered together here to talk about the real issues, to together look for solutions, opens lots of doors for new concept development, to further the work we're already take, undertaking, and to build new partnerships that will open more doors for the future. And I think it's a remarkable setting for all of that and just grateful to be here and spend time with so many wonderful colleagues from across the country. Rob Allen, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for the opportunity. Dr. Wyatt Decker, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time, after all the time you've already generously given here at Healthcare Council Sessions. You bet. Uh, Great to be here. Really interesting conversation that we just got to listen to, talking about the transition to value. And we'd love to just unpack a few of the things that you all are working on. So much of the conversation, I think, for the past few years has been We've got to get to, we've got to take cost out of the system. We've got to move to value. Mm. And it just hasn't necessarily gone the way that maybe we broadly as an industry and even society have hoped. And at the same time, you all at Optimers are such a profound example of how to put the pieces together and begin to move in that direction. So I'm really curious as to just hear as you have been walking through the halls over the last little bit here at Sessions, you know, how has your experience helping to drive this change and drive this move forward? What are you picking up on here? And how is that influencing sort of your thinking going forward? Yeah, absolutely. You're 100% right. Value-based care has been talked about for decades, but it's been slow to gain traction. Why is that? Well, it's complex, and it requires a fairly sophisticated set of technologies to make sure particularly clinical data is available at the right time to the right providers so that they can act and identify gaps in care, early diabetes, untreated hypertension, uh, maybe signals of depression. And so making sure that the team has the tools is one of the challenges. But let's just take a step back. I would say to move to value-based care, there are two fundamental shifts. One is the clinical model. So the clinical model goes from volume-based, treat the current symptom, to focusing on what most people wish their healthcare providers did, which is focus on keeping them healthy and well. How many of our listeners have had to reach out to a team of doctors, primary care or otherwise, to say, is it time to get a mammogram? Should I have colon cancer screening? And Some are fortunate enough to have teams that are reaching out to them, but it's a minority of us. And so where is that system? I would also submit to you that here we are sitting in Nashville. If I suddenly develop crushing chest pain, my hope is you'll call 911. And if you do, I would argue that within five to seven minutes, we'll have a team of highly trained paramedics and I will get excellent medical care. Nashville has excellent medical care. However, where was that healthcare team in the eight years where my hypertension and my cholesterol were going unchecked and maybe I had financial difficulties and it was hard to get prescription refills and nobody noticed and nobody was helping me solve these 
combination of social and financial challenges that became barriers to my getting good preventive care. And that's really the shift that we need to see. And back to your primary question of what am I observing here at this conference is this incredible energy of people that are ready to lean in and solve, whether it's a niche solution, which might be hard in and of itself, but that can feed in to a comprehensive solution. And that's where an organization like Optum and United Health Group can be of value. So we're, we work with entrepreneurs of all sizes in terms of their business who have solutions, whether it's kidney care, uh, mental health care, getting upstream in diabetes. We're very interested in all these spaces. And so when somebody develops a solution, especially as it gets validated and we see the clinical evidence and we understand that there's a and affordability, they're going to help drive down total cost of care. We get very interested in this. And what I've experienced over the past two days is incredible exchange of ideas and, frankly, energy around how do we solve to make healthcare better. Yeah, I love what you just said there. And and it is something that we've heard a lot about is somebody on the AI panel yesterday said point solutions aren't going to work anymore. And, and, and their point was not that it's we shouldn't specialize. In fact, another That's thing right. we've heard is that we need specialization. We need That's people right. hyper-focused on a very narrow area. And also, we have to be able to integrate those pieces. And so I think that is something that's really, again, a great example that, that Optum Health and, and United Health Group are, are doing. That we, we, we watch this as outside observers even, seeing, right. seeing the headlines in modern healthcare of here are these pieces that are coming together, and all yeah. of a sudden we get this horizontal. With that in mind, then, you, you also talked on stage about the challenge of identifying what people need. And mm-hmm. to your point a minute ago, where were they in the eight years mm-hmm. of managing right. before the heart attack? That's right. So how do you think about that process of getting in with individual patients, finding the data, yeah. building the relationship, yeah. and getting to that point where you know what they need? It's very important concept. And we use a combination of data and analytics and clinical judgment. So let me give you an example. When we bring on a special needs patient who is eligible for both Medicare and Medicaid, these are individuals that often have eight to 10 chronic diseases and might have a median income of around ten to $15,000. So these are a very, this is a highly vulnerable population. And we will use clinical data to risk stratify them initially into one of five groups. And the top tier, the number five, are the, is the group that's highly likely to need an ambulance in the near future because of an emergency. Now, we were interested in going upstream. So we begin to bring care in the home all the way up to a geriatrician who will do a house call. So it's not solely nurses that may come to their home. It can be a physician, primary care doctor, who will assess their needs, and then we build a unique program around that individual. And as you can imagine, there are much healthier individuals still in that cohort that maybe don't need as much resources around them. But if a nurse visits that home and says, our system didn't identify them as a high-needs patient, but I'm quite concerned they live alone, they don't have a lot of resources, and they have no transportation, then we can actually elevate them into our higher tier based on clinical judgment. But between those two, it gets us a place to start with the data and analytics, and then it gets allows clinical judgment to actually provide the nuances and make sure that person's getting the, the right care. So could be social determinants that we're solving for, could be medical care or a combination of both. I love that. It's such a perfect yeah. example of what the ideal state of you use data to augment and to sort of provide that baseline and That's then you right. go in with the personal touch and say, the computer, the algorithm can't tell me that this person is lonely. That's right. 
I, I want to talk a little bit here too about something else that you said on stage in terms of partnerships, mm-hmm. working with community agencies. So we've talked a bit about how you build these relationships with patients, how you understand their individual needs. Now thinking at the community level, how do you go about coming into a community and working with all the different stakeholders to say that we are here to support and augment and help and be part of this conversation with you. What does that look like? Yeah, yeah it's it's uh, very important, uh, particularly if we're entering a new community, that we build those bridges. And what we found is often partnering, we've done this in many of our states where we have senior centers, which are places that we collaborate with local charities to have a social space for seniors where they can come and meet with friends, they can have cooking lessons, they can have exercise classes, and that can be a great convener and builder of a senior community, and especially for seniors who find themselves more lonely or isolated. And so that's one example. The other is just reaching out to community members, to those who have other resources that they would like to be able to offer for those in need. So we focus on really building a connected network of community providers and resources. That's great. Thanks. Um, My last question for most people has been, we're here at the conference, what's got you excited? But you answered that at the beginning. So if I can put you on the spot, and I heard you say some things about Nashville, and would love to just get your take on on the city and what we've got going on here, it's a sort of an awkward question, but no, we, not at all. Uh, we're having fun here and would love to hear your take on it. Yeah, I see a vibrant business and health focused ecosystem that has grown up over the past number of decades. Uh, and we at United Health Group and Optum are leaning in. Uh, and so, as you know, Change Healthcare is now a, a part of Optum. NaviHealth, based here, is part of Optum and many other components. And so, we're all in. Like we say, let's help this ecosystem grow. And what's great to see is it's now got a national kind of a, a, a flavor to it. And it's great to come together here in Nashville and talk about how we can make healthcare better. Dr. Decker, thank you so much for your time. Great to be here. Thank you so much. 